1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host hello and welcome to the rugby dungeon thank you for listening thank you for subscribing and of course thank you for leaving all of those messages on itunes sorry reviews on itunes really appreciated we really like reading them so carry on doing it because it's very important that you do so for us uh, also, find us on all our usual social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, at jbeardmore, at the Rugby Dungeon, at Rugby Podcast for Rug Chasers. And if that's not enough rugby for you, check out the Thistle Rugby Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to Scottish rugby. Um, they do it better than anyone else, I believe, and they're in the middle of the Six Nations run. So if you want to find out anything about the great game up north of the border, Thistle Rugby Podcast, really good guys. Talking of Scottish rugby, we've got Richard Cockrell on the podcast today, which is incredible. He's just about to start his new role in Edinburgh uh, at the end of the season. Uh, Before we get into any of that, though, if you've been following the Egg Chasers Twitter account, you'll notice that we are looking for some new squad members. Now, that tweet is less than a day old, and we've already got a ton of replies. However, I cannot stress how important it is that you know you need to be in Manchester, preferably be Celtic, and this is the weird one. Watch Pro 12. If you can do all those things and you want to get behind the mic and talk about rugby and be a member of this little group we've got going down here, let us know ASAP via Facebook, via email, via Twitter. Whatever whatever way you want to, let, let us know. Because we're going to try something out down here which we've not done before. and We need a few more people. So if that's you, let me know ASAP. Anyway... Enough of all that nonsense. Here is my interview with Richard Cockrell. Hope you enjoy it.
0: Hey, mate. T-
1: Hi, Richard. How are you? Yeah, good. How's things over in
0: France? Yeah, it's okay. It's different. The sun is shining.
1: <laughs> uh, what have you been up to today, then?
0: <laughs> today, I've been in the office first thing, doing some uh, doing some work, uh, and then... I've been trying to sort out my bank account, <laughs> so yeah, that's been interesting. But no, it's all right.
1: You fully adjusted with your second time out there now? Uh,
0: yeah, it's all right. I mean, I I think I've fallen into it reasonably well. Obviously, I speak the language okay, well enough to coach and, and get by. So, um, yeah, so far so good. I'm enjoying it. It's it's a uh, it's a uh, very different but enjoyable. Yeah. Now that's quite an interesting one because. I
1: think I'm right in saying, prior to Mike Ford, there wasn't an English-speaking coach. Uh,
0: no, uh, what at, uh, at at Toulon? Yeah. Uh, no, there's uh, they've got uh, Paul Strigun, who's a conditioning coach, obviously that with, was with England and the British Lions, and um, there's another assistant coach called Steve Meehan, who was co- He's an Australian guy who's coached at Queensland <laughs> and the Force. Um, and uh, he was at Bath, but also coached at Stade Francais uh, a few years ago. So there's there's a, a couple of English speakers, but not actually um, uh, as head coach. No, Mike's the first.
1: So what's your exact role within the club then? Because I didn't realise there was quite so many coaches.
0: Well, there's myself. Obviously, Mike heads it up. There's Steve Mian, who assists Mike in the backs coaching. And there's a, a, a former French hooker called Mark Dalmasso, coaches the scrum. Mm-hmm and at the moment i'm doing the line out attack and um the breakdown contact work and um and part of the the, the team defence so yeah it's uh, it's been good In- interesting so i'm mean, a good squad um different dynamics from from what i've been used to but uh, yeah great experience and yeah enjoying it really good place some really good people here
1: well they do say that a change is as good as a break so how much different is it compared to tigers
0: oh yeah very different i mean you know um Obviously, culturally, the French—you know—they're only 23 miles away uh, by water, but the culturally, it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's different around lots of parts of it, um, especially uh, around lunch times when there's two hours break for everything. Um, which, is, which is, to be fair, that that their the work-life balance is very good. It's a lot better than us English, that's for sure. Um, so, um, oh, is yeah, difference and everything. It's more relaxed. Training's a little bit different. Obviously, there's the the. the there's a high number of um, of what's the right way to put it high-profile players. Yeah. Um, so it's just managing that, and but rugby players are rugby players, so it's just about preparing properly for the sessions, making sure you, you 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 talk sense. But is it different? It's a very different, you know. Timekeeping's a little bit sloppier. Dress code's very very different. You know, it's pretty much um, whatever's got a too long badge on you sort of wear. There's no particular dress code, but. Um, that's very different, but that's just how it is. It's not better or worse. It's just very different.
1: Yeah, I noticed that actually. I was at Sale when Toulon came to visit, and all the Sale boys have got their blazers on, and the Toulon boys basically wear, from what I can tell, tracksuit bottoms and polo shirts.
0: Yeah, well, I mean in a way, are a bit different when you're, when you're traveling, mm-hmm. um, but certainly even at training here, um, uh, as long as it's um, you know Toulon apparel, it can be T-shirts or short, any sorts of shorts or socks, Um, vests anything goes for any session whether it's gym or rugby Um, and that's just how it's been but but they've won the competition you know European Cup three times they've won the the French Championship Um, they've got some of the best players in the world so who's to say it's wrong it's just different
1: excellent well just talking a little bit broader then um, I just want to talk to you about the role of uh, director of rugby now obviously you were director of rugby up in Tigers you're going to be a director of rugby again um, since you started in the role, how do, how do you think it's changed?
0: Oh, I think the, the animal of professional rugby changes every year. I think it gets bigger. Um, and it used to be uh, just about what happened on the field and tra- training-wise and playing-wise, but now the way the games have gone very global around player recruitment and agents and dealing with agents and dealing with players, and players' mentalities have changed over the last 10 years around... Um, what they want and what they want to give and all the things that make professional sport interesting. It's just, um, yeah, the, the, the role is, I think, I think the difficulty is, that people don't understand is that, um, when you're a good coach, you get promoted up the chain. So you can be a good assistant coach. You get promoted to head coach and then you're a good head coach, you go to DOR. The more you get promoted, the, the, the less you coach and the, the more distractions you have and the less attention to to the actual important parts, which is playing, get taken, not taken away, but you get distracted because there's players, and there's players' agents, and there's families, and there's, also, there's always a problem. When, yeah. you're when you've got 45 blokes who are all um, driven individuals in different ways, um, there's always a problem to, to take you away from the thing that's important, which is the playing part. So I think, um, and you only get to understand that when you're in, in, in the job. So
1: I think those parts
0: have changed a lot. Um, And actually, uh, it's very important to have a good support network and structure around you to to help you manage those scenarios.
1: So, how much so how much contact time do you typically expect to have with players, and how much of your time would have been dedicated to actually you know game planning or coaching?
0: Oh, contact time with the players is quite a lot because they're in the you know certainly at Leicester they're in in the club you know pretty much full days on a Monday, Tuesday, and and Thursday pretty much. on the training field, well, you know, we've probably got you know, there's five sessions a week, so there's probably five hours contact time on the training field, which isn't a huge amount considering the week that you have. Um, obviously, they've got conditioning and rehab and all those other things, and doing their homework and all that part 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 and parcel of, of a professional player. But as coaches in a coaching group, you'd spend you know you spend a lot of time previewing games, getting information, getting that information across to players, having individual meetings with players in key positions to make sure they understand what you want to do and how you want to play, and whether that's in attack or defence or set-piece, scrum, line-out. Um, there's so much that goes into uh, getting a team prepared. How how much of that is actually time-wasted and it would be no different if you actually did <laughs> the work? You, you never know, but you you... You tend to find the the best prepared teams are the ones that are confident and the best pre- prepared teams are the best you know, the best the best teams that coach well um, and they tend to be the more successful ones. so the degree of fine margins on what what percentage you gain from doing all the work um, is is uh, I think you'll never know really
1: at the elite level, how much time is spent focusing on what the opposition are doing and trying to counter that and how much is spent on actually working on your own game plan giving the opposition something to think about
0: are uh, pretty much probably a ah 70 30 split 80 20 split you know looking at ourselves for 80% of the time 20% on the on the opposition it's important that you know what the opposition are going to do and to to a, to a large degree but you can you could you can spend a lot of time worrying about what they're going to do and then take your focus off off the, the detail that you need so i think uh, it's important that you know, and that starts from pre season about getting your structures in place so you're not having to revisit things all the time in season, which is always difficult with mm. for, for parts of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think you, getting your part, you know, how you play, how you defend, how you attack the game, both with and without the board, are very important. And a lot of concentration goes into that. But also, you need to know what the opposition are going to do and um, the, the bit, how you're going to combat that um, and how you're going to, you know, hopefully. Um, Uh, create opportunities to to score points.
1: Now, as a director of rugby and considering everything you've already achieved, do you look back at things that you could have done differently or better? And are there any specific instances where you thought, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have done that? (laughs) Uh,
0: No, probably not. I mean, I've got myself in trouble a few times, mainly with officials (laughs) uh, that I probably could have handled better. But I mean, I think the thing is, is that there's no one thing... You know, you can't go to a DOR school and learn how to be a DOR. You just have to do it by experience. So, yeah. uh, oh, the, the, there are some things that I probably could have handled better, should we say? But I think that's all down to experience, whether that's dealing with players or selection or coaching, referees, um, certain scenarios that happen in games. But I think you have to go through that experience to be better for it. So, um, and if you've got it, if you know, if you're sharp in mind and you can and you can react on the hoof and um, you know some people are naturally better at dealing with that than others under pressure and um, then you sort of learn on the way. I don't I don't sort of regret anything I think everything is is you, you deal with it how you feel fit, see fit at the time sometimes you get that really right sometimes you get it somewhere in the middle and sometimes you, you mess it up that's just that's life isn't it?
1: I guess so and I also guess it's a bit of a strange one because people like yourself and your peers who are now gone from playing to coaching. I imagine that you've basically invented this role on your own, well, not you on your own, but you and your peer group because it certainly wasn't a wasn't around when you were playing.
0: No, somebody invented it, it wasn't me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, job titles are job titles. I think once you're on the, on, the, on the pitch and doing your work, you know, I think coaching teams work together. You know, somebody has to have the final call, whether that's training, playing, selection, um, accountability, you know, a lot of the time, um, you know, the bigger salaries come with the responsibility rather than what you do, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's some people handle the pressure better as well in, in, you know, when pressure's on and you have to win or there's pressure around recruitment and retention and selection, Um, some people deal with that naturally and that's better than others, so that's just the nature of it. Um, um, and hopefully, you get it right more often than not. But yeah, there are job roles, there's performance directors and head coaches and DORs, and, um, you know, it, there's yeah a lot of made up stuff, isn't there?
1: <laughs> well, take this question in the spirit that's, that it's intended. But. <laughs> is um, that when it's then? <laughs> it might be, who knows? Uh, I've, we've got another podcast, Egg Chasers, which is basically three lads just chatting about the game like fans. Yeah. And I've got to say, four years ago when we started doing it, your post-match interviews provided us with a lot of material. Okay. If we fast forward to, say, you know, six months ago, and we're watching one of your uh, post-match interviews, you're, you're a lot calmer, you're a lot more considered. And when you speak to anyone who does you know, things like post-match interviews or does stuff in the media, they always cite you as one of the more thoughtful directors of rugby. Do you think that's a sign of how much you've changed? Or have I just made all that up?
0: Uh... I think with experience, I mean, I think uh, when you're inexperienced uh, and you feel the pressure more than probably when you, like, a, you know, obviously you feel the pressure, but you handle it a little bit better. I mean, I suppose in my earlier days, my way of combating pressure would be to be more confrontational around interviews and be a bit more dogmatic and a bit more belligerent. Um, I think as time goes on and you feel a bit more comfortable in the position and you've had experiences of winning, losing. Um, dealing with the awkward questions when an interviewer goes, you know, do you think you should consider your position? Um, and you have to bat those questions away around um, losing your job or not, um, which is sometimes unpleasant. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I, I just I just think you become more comfortable with it because you do it more often, and um, and ultimately, look, it's all one big game, isn't it? You know, Tim Cocker's is asking the questions because he's getting paid to do it. That's his job. Everybody's got a living to make, so. Um, he's doing his job, and I'm doing my job. So I think um, uh, I wouldn't say I, I'm a person to be uh, intimidated by interviews. I would stand always stand in my corner and stand for what I believe in. Whether that's people think that's right or wrong, I'd always back my players. I'll always back my team, mm. um, and I'll always um, have a strong um, character around doing those things.
1: <laughs> well, I actually think there's quite a few people in BT Sport who are not too happy. You found new employment so quickly. Because i would quite like you up in the booth.
0: Yeah, well, I've got a theory. Those that can coach, those that can't commentate. So <laughs> um, let's work on that theory. And when I can't do it anymore, I'll go on TV.
1: Yeah, I don't know where that leaves the podcasters, but probably somewhere beneath the commentators.
0: Uh, I couldn't comment.
1: <laughs> a lot of spoken about in rugby, about philosophy. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, what would you say that your philosophy is? And what would you like to say that a Richard Cockrell team looks like?
0: Yeah, the philosophy is an interesting one because everybody everybody across the world goes, what's your rugby philosophy? Um, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure um, those that live in the real world that actually have to coach it day in, day out in a long competition like the Premiership or the Pro 12, as it's going to be, or at the moment, the top 14, which is a very attritional competition. I think you have to be good at everything. I mean, I want a team that wants to be, you know, I'm a forward by trade and, and, and played there. The game is built on 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 a strong forward pack, good set piece, uh, a physically dominant team. If you get physical dominance, you you, t- you tend to dominate teams, whether that's a forwards-wise or even physicality in the backline. And I want a, a team that a philosophy or a team that plays can play everything. If you're running the ball from under your own post to score, well, that's great. Make good decisions and do that. But everything comes down to physicality and and desire. Um, what, what would, what would my, my teams like to? I'd like to look like well, tough, uncompromising, hard work, um, just get on with their jobs and and, and, and do them well. But rugby is a pretty simple game. I want us to catch and pass and score nice tries. Now, nice tries can be driving a line out over from five meters, or it can be a seventy-five meter running, flowing move. It's I, I want it to be everything. But um, depending on what players you've got and the, what the conditions are and. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Your philosophy can change from week to week. So I think it's a bit of. A, I, I think philosophy has come down to people that have never been on the shop floor, actually coaching from week to week, trying to win games. Because ultimately, that's what, what what it comes down to.
1: You think it's a bit of a buzzword?
0: Oh, there are lots of buzzwords. Yeah, I've uh, I, I found in the professional world, there's so many people that will consult and tell you how to do your job that have never actually done it. Yeah, I, I can never. And they've learned it from a book somewhere or done some thesis on it somewhere, which I respect. However, the best place to learn it is on the shop floor doing it. Um, and I've got 12 years experience of doing that. But, yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a few David Brents out there that, could, <laughs> uh, that are really good at doing presentation. And there's lots of lovely um, uh, powerpoints, uh, but actually the people that should get the most respect are the are the coaches that are doing it every day, 24/7, 365 days a year. They're the guys that uh, I have most respect for because it's a blooming difficult job.
1: Give me some of your least favourite uh, buzzwords then.
0: Uh, oh, let me think. Um, let's uh, yeah, let's take ownership and take it forward. I still don't know. So I hear it all the time, um, or things like, um, "Yeah, let's work. Well, let's work in that space." What is? I still don't know what that means. Or um, you know, it's important that we, uh, you know, we we stay connected and aligned. Those types of things that you hear on TV programs. Uh, my
1: personal favorite. moment is make good decisions i mean we all want to make good decisions
0: <laughs> yeah uh, yeah hopefully yeah um yeah it's it's a very yeah it's a very it's it's a very mute point isn't it because um it's sort of uh once you get one person with a nice powerpoint presentation then it's all about one upmanship so I just avoid powerpoints. I'm more comfortable with grass under my feet than carpet. So that's that's the best way to keep it.
1: Do you think too much is made out of the whole player development side? I mean obviously developing your players is very important for yeah. a skill side. But when people start talking about cultures and all and all the rest of it, it just seems to be a lot of um a lot of words. I, I'm not entirely sure it correlates with success.
0: Um player development's really important. I mean the, the game, the, the world that we live in has changed a lot. So, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, in my mid 40s. So, you know, 20 odd years ago when I was coming through, um, you played a lot more rugby as a, as a youngster. There weren't academies. So you sort of, you know, I played for Coventry in Division Two and you come through the Colts and the second team and the first team. And then I got picked up by Leicester. So by the time you, you've played for Leicester, you're starting to play for Leicester as a, as a 20, 21 year old, you've had three or four years' experience playing rugby every week. Um, Whereas lads these days go into academies at 16 or 17 and the one thing they don't do is play rugby. They have weights and learning and all that stuff. But like anything, I'm a big believer in um, you learn from experiences. Obviously, Mm -hmm. senior players and coaches help you with learning the game and understanding and developing quicker. And that's physically and mentally and understanding the game. But I'm still a big believer that um, the very best players that they they're, they're born to be the very best players that they have natural talent or that will, or natural physical ability um, and then they you, you add that with work ethic and desire and then they, they become some of the best players in the world so I think um, you can develop players you can make them better but the very best players um, have all that coaching and help but they they are naturally, Always going to be um, a very good player. Um, you know, you you can only polish um, what you've got so much before before the natural talent either kicks on or it doesn't, or they haven't got it. There are ce- there are ceilings for everybody, aren't there? But I, th- I think it's all it's all important. But I think you can spend a lot of time trying to develop players that may um, not ever be as good as how, how you would like them to be.
1: Uh, just a follow on from that then on on young players not getting enough game time now I'm going to put the caveats out to my listeners that they're sick of me uh, talking about this point but I tend to find a lot of players in the academy a lot of the young lads just aren't getting enough rugby, Uh, do you agree with that and if so how do you how do you see a solution for this to get them more game time
0: yeah definitely they don't play enough rugby Um, um, and it's a difficult one to solve I think uh, I, I could never understand why, as a, 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 certainly in English Union they they stopped under under 21 rugby. Um, it, uh, and, and when I came through the system at Coventry and Leicester, there'd be a Leicester youth team, for example, which would be under 21s. So you might be 18 or 19, but you play in the under 21s. You play two or three years in the in the in the under 21s, and then as you, you either kicked on very quickly as a younger player and you got into the first second or first team uh, and you got an opportunity to, one, create combinations with um, with uh, other players that came through the system together to go into the first team. And, you know, year one, you're 18, so you might be a little bit behind the game physically or, or skill-wise, but a year later, you're a little bit better in that environment and maybe you might captain the side or lead the pack or... Uh, and that creates leadership, and you learn how to to, to captain a side and and think for yourselves. But now it's just under 20. I mean, at junior level in England, it's there's only an under 18 league. Once they're out, too old for the under 18s, they're into senior rugby, and there's a very there's a void where those 19 year olds play. Because if you're not physically capable or or, or physically able, uh, um, skill wise, able to play in the championship or or national one, where do you play? Mm-hmm. Um, th- 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 so for me, there is a there's an actual void of 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 age group rugby below senior rugby for, for lads to play in, which is which is a shame because actually the old system in many ways worked. But the caveat to that is if you're a professional team, it costs quite a lot of money to run a, a full time team. So um, playing every week is um, expensive, and you have to have enough players to make the team up and now, there are lots of other problems around that that are financial because a lot of professional clubs will spend their money on the, the team that plays in the premiership on Saturday because that's what they get judged by and that's that's the short-termism of, of professional sport and, and that, that's, you know, that's part and parcel of it, I'm afraid.
1: How often were you talking to the other directors of rugby about broad stuff like that or do you, all the directors of rugby very much run their own camp and you don't really come out of that?
0: No, to be fair, I mean, obviously we know, we meet each other, we know each other, Um, I think we share all the same problems, but to be fair, there's very little dialogue between Premiership, DORs, uh, openly around the issues that that go on, Um, it's just the nature of it.
1: Yeah, because I had a thought that as a development tool, you could all kind of agree with it that you want an under-20s or an A-League or something like that, or maybe... You know, the club just forms out their academy lads to you know clubs like Coventry or Bedford or whoever yeah. whoever it
0: is. Yeah, I mean we have dual dual registration. We have guys on loan. You know, they have guys on loan to 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 Championship teams and National One. But the difficulty is, is that you want you know you've got a lot of test players away during the summer on summer tour. So you've got those young lads at the bottom of your squad coming being in pre-season, um, helping you make the numbers up to play games prepare. So they're not with their loan clubs. Um, and then when they go to the loan clubs, it's late in August, so the loan clubs have already organised their season. They've already got players that are, are, are ready to play, so they start at the bottom of that, and then that's hard for them to, 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 to get a game because they've not been with their loan club. Um, and then pre in the start of the season, there's A league games, so you don't want them playing on Saturday because they've got to play on Monday. And then there's all sorts of logistical problems that, that come into it. it the theory is, is very sound, you're right. The reality is... is, is Is a lot more difficult
1: now I want to change the subject slightly and I am going to talk about Edinburgh a little later but for those listeners who only really know you as a director of rugby can you just tell us about how you got into the game and your progression through it until the point you started playing for Tigers
0: yeah I uh, I went I left uh, junior school and went to senior school at a a school called Harris Church of England Comprehensive in in rugby where I was born and bred Uh, and it was Cross country or rugby. So really? I, didn't, I didn't like running. Um, I'm a, my my elder brother played rugby. My got a brother is a couple of years older than me, so he played rugby. So it was sort of the the, the natural competition of um, of of trying to uh, uh, outdo your uh, your brother. So I started playing rugby and um, at eleven or twelve, and have played ever since. Really, so played for the school. Um, it took to it pretty well. It was the one thing I was actually good at, at. School was rugby. The rest of it, I was pretty rubbish at. Everything else, I was rubbish at. But I could play rugby. Hmm. So it was my one thing that kept me interested in school. To be fair, um, and then I played for the, the, played from 12 up to 16. Played for England. Well, for Warwickshire, Warwickshire schools and Midlands, and then for England under 16s. Left school at 16. Went to work. And then I joined Coventry and, and came through the system at Coventry. Played for England 21s in those days. Played for Coventry first team in 1990, 1991 and joined Leicester in 92. So pretty, pretty ordinary, you know, just play because I love playing. And if I was good enough, people would notice and you, you might get an opportunity further up the, up the chain. So that was pretty much how it was in those days, I suppose.
1: What would you have been doing if you didn't uh, take up rugby?
0: Well, like I said, I left school at 16 and I went and did an apprenticeship as a cabinet maker, an antique restorer and French polisher. So I did that for, as an apprentice for five years. And then I ran my own business from 21 to 27, um, doing that as, for, as my job as a self-employed business. Uh, and signed professional papers in, in, when I was 27 in 1997. I signed for Leicester. And I've been in professional rugby ever since. Wow. Uh, well, one of the reasons I ask that is because
1: when sky used to have all the premiership rights and this is a long time ago they did an interview with yourself um (laughs) i think it was yourself garforth and and roundtree now i can't quite remember the story but i've always thought if i get the chance to interview you i'd ask how did you guys meet because i'm sure it's something like you you first met in the back of a truck or something
0: yeah no um uh i used i played at coventry colts and darren garforth's brother joe uh, was my teammate he's the same age as me he was a prop loose head prop and uh, yeah we uh, darren we went out on a Friday night after a game myself and Joe and Darren his brother uh, who obviously I played with at Leicester for a long time after that he picked us up in the, on the Saturday morning but there was no room um on the on the in the scaffold wagon so me and Joe jumped on the back of the lorry and we we got a lift on the back of the lorry with a scaffold tube so um, that was my first introduction <laughs> to. To, to Darren Garforth, and then obviously I spent a long time playing next to him uh, at Leicester um, when I, when I joined there.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if I' going uh, mad or not because it must have been about fifteen years ago since that since that interview was aired.
0: It was a long it was a long time <laughs> ago. You've got a better memory than I have, to be fair. Uh,
1: I guess the next bit is congratulations on the new role in Edinburgh. A bit of a departure from Toulon. um Yeah. What. What was it that attracted you t- to this role?
0: Um, I, I mean, it's it's uh, in all senses a big club. I mean, it's not obviously probably uh, got to where it would like to in the professional era. I mean, I think it's a great challenge. There's mm. a lot of very good young players there. Um, uh, I met Mark Dodson, the chief executive, and, and Scott Johnson, the, the, the Scottish director of Scottish Rugby, um, and. They, they have a, they're, they're good people, I trust them. There's a, there's, a, there's a good plan in place there. I mean, they've, you know, they've, there's a bit of sorting out to do. I think I'm the man to, 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 to drive that forward. I think that challenge for me is good. I've always, obviously less is my only experience from a coaching point of view. Yeah. Now Obviously now Toulon for, for five or six months, um, then on to Edinburgh. So uh, broadening my horizons, a great opportunity to, to actually affect change in a place that needs some real direction. Um, a lot of very good young scottish players that will come through and hopefully develop into some already at full international level but but um, a lot will, there's a lot of other guys that will come through and there's a lot of raw talent there and it just needs sorting um and it's a different challenge in the fact that a lot less resource than Leicester. the squad the squad cap uh, I mean the money to spend on the squad is is a lot less mm. and and we're going to have to make very much the best of of what we've got and that will come down to uh, how it's driven from myself, how it's coached, and how well they're coached. Um, but I think the feeling is, is that maybe that they've underperformed for what they've got. And, and in the inception of of Pro 12, um, Edinburgh have never finished higher than eighth. So the reality yes. is that um, uh, they haven't fulfilled their potential at this point for whatever reason. And um, you know, um, they've they've had some good players. They've got some good players. That historically, they've they've had some you know very big players that have come through and played for Scotland and the Lions. But as a club, um, they've only had fleeting um, um, parts of, of success, but that success hasn't you know, hasn't actually cultivated in, in, in them winning anything. So they've had some good European runs. They've finished second in, in the Celtic League, which is a different format to the Pro 12 now. So there's a lot about the club that's very, very good. I think Edinburgh's a a, uh, a big rugby city. I think we, we, my job is to, one, get the team to to gel and, and have an identity and uh, and obviously improve from a playing point of view, but also, um, getting uh, the the city uh, behind the team because there's a lot of rugby supporters in, in Edinburgh that probably um, would like to to see the team do well for obvious reasons, but also we need to fill you know my side the new the new the new the new stadium and there's five and a half thousand seats there that we, we we'd like to fill every time we play and but we need to do that we need to make sure that we one have got a, a, a good team with a good good culture that everybody can see is working exceptionally hard to, 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 to get results and even if we don't get the right result which you know it's sport you do lose that you put a team out there that's committed and cares about what it's doing and, and support to see that. So they've got something to follow and something to identify with.
1: Just out of interest, your conversation with, with Scott Johnson, um, I mean, I assume that a lot was spoken of, spoken about regarding Edinburgh and how it helps out with the national team. Is the structure of how Edinburgh and Glasgow interact with the SRU a lot different to say how you were going how you would working with the with the RFU?
0: Oh, very different because obviously everybody's centrally contracted in mm. theory. So um, obviously the the there's a driver around the national team for obvious mm. reasons. Um, but also I think having as Glasgow have shown, having a strong club environment and culture and success. Um, and having a winning mentality and and, and Glasgow have clearly done that and, and obviously won the Pro 12 and this year doing exceptionally well in Europe um, is that that's important too so I think Glasgow have got that they've got that identity they've created that um, obviously I think there's probably been a little bit more focus on Glasgow than there has been on Edinburgh um, mm-hmm. uh, it does help that they're 60 miles away from the national stadium so that, that keeps them in isolation to a point <laughs> that helps you create an identity, your own identity. Uh, and, and my job, at, along with um, a few others at, at Edinburgh Rugby, is to create that club feel and you know, be close to the union but have that separation. So, actually, Edinburgh's the objective, playing for Scotland. Of course it's important, and we I know, whether it's a Fijian or a Samoan or an Australian, I don't mind. I want them to play at the highest level they can. Mm. But the objective has to be, Edinburgh first, play well for Edinburgh, um, earn the respect of your teammates, play well, and then if that leads on to getting picked for Scotland or whoever you play for, then so be it. But Edinburgh has to become the first objective because, uh, like anything, if you get your club rugby right and your day-to-day um, training and management and and work ethics very good, then that will that will give you opportunity higher up the chain. You can't do it, just do it at test level; you have to do it at club level too.
1: Interesting. So within your job role, your job description, sorry, there's nothing saying that you have to pre- produce a certain amount of Scottish internationals, or is it all solely fa- focused on the performance of Edinburgh?
0: As simple as that, get Edinburgh as good as I can. Um, because the, the, the uh, offshoot of that will be, um, you know, those young Scottish players that are in that squad now, and some senior guys, if they are well coached and well prepared, um, they will naturally come through to the national side and that will give the national side more depth. Um, and as you've seen with, with Glasgow, you know, Glasgow have got a good culture. They've got young players that have come through and that's cultivated, you know, cultivated in, um, in uh, winning the Pro 12, but also guys like you know, Hogg and Finn Russell and several others um, you know, uh, coming through and playing exceptionally well for the, for the Scottish team and put themselves in prime position to play for the Lions in the summer.
1: Yeah I, I can't really work out what the relationship is between Glasgow and Edinburgh whether it's sort of a um a, a deep rivalry or it's a sort of a kind of like a little brother uh, relationship
0: uh, at the moment I I don't know I don't know the answer my 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 only uh well I have two experiences of, of uh, rivalry and that's Leicester Northampton uh which is pretty uh strong so yep. And Clermont-Ferrand or ASM, Montferrand and Breve, which are, which are the same thing. And that's a pretty hot rivalry too. So um, I'm yet to see uh, how, um, uh, what's the right word, uh, tasty that uh, that rivalry will be, will be between uh, between Edinburgh um, and, and Glasgow. It will be interesting to, to be in the middle of that.
1: Well, I'll make a small prediction though. It's about to get a lot more tasty.
0: I <laughs> oh, will see. I'm not sure me and Dave Rennie are ever gonna fall out so we'll see <laughs>
1: uh, well Richard thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it now I am aware that you're um, a real life grown up so I don't suppose you've got any social media channels or anything
0: <laughs> no there's enough there's enough forums for people to abuse me on so I tend <laughs> to have them.
1: Uh, well best of luck and I really hope that you enjoy up, uh, up in Edinburgh Cheers, thanks a lot. Cheers, Richard.